Hello, everyone. This is Joe Pantozzi, and I am so blessed today to have as our guest, Barry Dyke. Now, I have to admit, I don't know the year that Barry's first book came out. It was The Pirates of Manhattan. And uh, I was just sharing with Barry before we, we went live just now that uh, Nelson Nash recommended Barry's book to everyone that he would never come across. And, and Nelson would say, if you want to learn about how Wall Street really works, what's going on with the government, how life insurance works, how banking works, if you want to know the elements, the good, the bad, the ugly, you need to read Pirates of Manhattan and then subsequent to that, Pirates of Manhattan too, because first of all, every financial planner absolutely needs to have this information. And number two, every American needs to read this book. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. So Barry, welcome. Thanks for being here. Yo, good to see you. Looking good as ever, my oh, old my friend. And, uh, oh my goodness. Flattery will get you everywhere. Yeah. So, man, yeah. Uh, Barry is from a state that I don't think I've ever set foot in, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, New Hampshire. I live in Cow Hampshire. Yeah. I think it's, well, there one time there was more cows than people here, but uh, I think there's more people here now, but uh yeah, I live in the seacoast of Hampshire. It's a beautiful area, Joe. When you ever come out here someday, I'd love to take it around. And uh, I look forward to catching you up, uh, catching up with you the next time I'm in Vegas. But Please. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a beautiful area. It's cold uh, right now. It's kind of gray, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's home for me. But um, I love it. And uh, but thank God with all this technology now, um, like yourself, I do. I do business all around the country and. Um, it's like Jesus, you can't be a you can't be a hit in your own backyard. So thank God for the internet. <laughs> exactly you know? right. Exactly <laughs> right. So I the other thing I'd mentioned a minute ago was when I met Barry when I when I read, met Nelson Nash when I started reading Pirates of Manhattan, I was already in the business twenty five years, and I was I'll say an ordinary vanilla type life insurance guy, life insurance and investments guy. And I knew that these companies were big enough to last hundreds of years, that they had lots of money, lots of capital. They were good at keeping their promises. They had integrity. They had financial strength, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Nelson opened my eyes, introduced me to Barry and said, you need to start looking at the relationship between these various entities and institutions and governments and see what's going on underneath the hood, because it does make a difference to the person living next door. It does, it does make a difference to people earning a living on a, on a salary or a wage. It does make a difference to people who are, who are closely held businesses. So Barry, I'm going to ask you to, to maybe tell me why you started writing Pirates Manhattan in the first place. Well, I kind of, I was going through a tough time in my life personally. And I, I don't, a. um, uh, I, I was pretty entrepreneurial. I was in high tech when I was young in my twenties and then, uh, getting the financial services around 83. Um, and then I had, I owned my first pension administration firm and I sold that to wing life in 1989. And then I, uh, I set up a third party administration firm when I was doing benefits for publicly co uh, traded corporations and, and law firms and CPA firms. So I was pretty entrepreneurial. My partner and I broke up on that. And then, uh, Went through a tough, uh, you know, personal stuff, which is in my book. Uh, I went through a tough divorce, and uh, I had started registered investment advisor in 2000 uh, or 2001. I still have it today, 
And I had to reinvent myself um, because of the situation at the time. I had to do a lot of praying and uh, I had to reinvent myself, Joe. And I realized a lot of these financial products sold uh, back 20 years ago never worked, will never work. And um, and I said, well, what works? I said, well, life insurance and annuities and things like that actually work. Okay. And because a lot of the stuff is all, uh, well, lack of a uh, better word, and it's going on to more today. It's all BS. And um, so I, I started researching it. And then, um, so I always wanted to write a book. So uh, it took me about seven, eight years to research the first book. But um, so I had, I had to understand how important banking was in people's lives. And, but then I did the research and it was like God's, God's grace has entered my life or uh, the hand of God, whatever. And I discovered that this, the banks were the biggest purchases of life insurance and they still are today. And the aggregate banks own, I think, $180 billion in cash surrender value and life insurance. So you get big banks. Like matter of fact, uh, so, and this is verified, I, verify, I testify in court that as of today, uh, that JP Morgan has at least 11.79 billion in cash surrender value. Uh, Bank of America, 22.64 billion. Um, and Wells Fargo have 19.15 billion in cash surrender value. So these three banks, okay, which are the, the, the Leviathans, um, have roughly 70, 80 billion of ca- cash surrender value uh, between mm. just three of them. And then we look, so that's the cash surrender value. And, but the death benefit, Joe, is about six, seven times that. So Six, so with 70 times uh, six, say six and a half, Joe, so close to 400 billion in death benefit. So I said, so anyhow, I discovered this, and then, um, and this has grown considerably when I released the first book, The Pirates of Manhattan, uh, which, and people can go on the barryjamesdyke.com and find this out. But um, so I discovered that the, what the banks do, um, and all these major banks, JP Morgan Chase Bank, uh, Bank of American Wells, Fargo all major asset managers. So where they put their own money um, and where they uh, um, put their clients' money were, were really a complete hypocrisy. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, so I said, gee whiz. So I said, this is, and I figured it out, uh, but the American public really needs to hear this. For sure. For sure. And um, the and only way I get it out is through guys like Nelson and yourself. And um, so, cause I have presented this stuff to, to Bloomberg and, CNBC and a bunch of other companies and uh, media outlets and essentially refuse to uh, admit it because of the, you know, the biggest uh, uh, advertisers are obviously the, the asset managers and so on. So, uh, but anyway, that was, that was, so that, and that one took off and uh, sold over 30,000 copies, like in 23 countries now. So, um, but, but mostly it's advisors and, um, and um, I'm, you know, I think as, you know, Christians, we have to be, you know, stewards of capital. As Will Rogers said years ago, I'm more concerned about the return of my money than the return on my money. Right. And the thing is life companies do it better than anybody else. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm always amazed that, that certain types of people will say, well, you know, I hear on this person on the radio who says uh, you should never buy any permanent insurance. Number <laughs> one. And number two, you should put all your money and and I, and I do have clients with assets under management, and yeah. it's, and it's it, it represents a portion of their assets. Okay, <clears throat> but th- this person is saying you should put all your money in a quality mutual fund, which should get you ten or twelve percent. It's very cavalier and casual the way these people talk, talk about this, as if as if you don't even need to worry about the education or the research, um, and and things like you know buy term insurance only. Because once you pass your primary earning years, 
you won't need life insurance because your house will be paid for. Your cars will never break down again. Your cars will never be replaced again. Your kids will never have to move back into your house again when they get into a, a bad marriage or a bad financial situation. Gee, is any of that stuff happening today? I think it is. And so people um, like me, for example, gee, I'm over 60. I'm way over 60. And it, it just so happens, as you said, by the grace of God, that he keeps me sharp and healthy so far. And I have a passion about getting this message out to people that they need to think about more than one generation. They need to think about more than from now until retirement time. Well, gee, what about helping your kids understand the, the, the nuances of finance, of stewardship, of responsibility, of, of multiplying your, your wealth to future generations so that they could do more good for the community and, and the, uh, the city and the family and the business and the church and the world. They could do more good than we did or our parents did. I wanna be able to help people meet their basic needs and then save for the future, protect what they have. But, but most importantly, think about multiplying and leveraging their wealth so they can, they can create fantastic wealth and maybe even more importantly than that, teaching their kids the skills, the culture, the mentality, the intelligence, the wisdom to, to watch those assets and, and mind and steward that wealth so that they don't just spend it on themselves. So there's, there's my infomercial in, in 90 seconds or whatever it was. No, we're in total agreement, Joe. And the whole thing is we're just telling people to put seat belts around the money and guardrails and... Um, and, uh, you know, the mutual fund companies, the asset managers, the banks, they're just telling, put it all on the roulette wheel. I'm going to put it on red today or maybe black. I don't know. I'm sure. But just as long as you gamble. And it's like, you're, I mean, you're in Vegas. I mean, the house always wins. I mean, it's just uh, and it, the house always gets the rake. And it's, just, it's no different than Wall Street. And actually, Wall Street and the banks are much, much worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah. at least if you go to Vegas and you, you lose money, at least you have some fun. You have some, some good, you see a good show, have a great meal, you know, get some sunshine. So, the, so at least in Vegas, you, you have fun losing your money. Okay. So that's what's happened, Joe. Um, and um, to me, it, what has happened, it's, it's funny how history repeats itself, but mm -hmm. there was a guy, Louis Brandeis, who wrote the book, Other People's Money in like 1918 about yeah. how Wall Street gambles with other people's money. Uh, anyone has to read it. It's a classic text. But th so what we're having now is just a, uh, just crazy gambling with other people's money in an unprecedented scale. And so, um, yeah, I, we manage money as well. I'm not against the stock market. I'm not against capitalism. Um, I'm a capitalist. A lot of stuff we have is not capitalism. It's crony capitalism. Right. Um, so and I get it. Okay. Um, but the thing is, is that I, so much of it now is just being gambled. And, um, and people are being forced into the market because it's 0% interest rates. But if they're dealing with a quality guy like yourself, they can still get a great rate of return, uh, you know, and have all the other economic benefits of the product, you know? And how many claims have you had? I've had, I've had, I've had like 62. I counted them up the other day. Mm. And I've had like three of them the past uh, few months. But, so I've seen yeah. the benefit of what we do uh, for the next generation. Yeah. But they don't we've want to talk had, about uh, that in the press, you know? We've had um, a slew uh, of losses. And I mean, I, they're personal losses because I've lost some family members 
I lost some dear clients, clients who were 30 year clients and they weren't even 65. Um, some people who were, who were prominent in Las Vegas. Um, but just in the, in the last 12 months, just in the year 2020, uh, we probably had $10 million worth of death claims. Wow. And probably 15 to $20 million in the last 24 months over, wow. over a group of about 15 to 20 people. Um, and so it's, it's not only COVID. In fact, there were only two or three COVID deaths out of 20 of all those people who died. Um, and um, I heard of one young man who's a realtor that I'm working with in, in New Jersey, uh, who just had a stroke the other day. He's 45 years old. And, and I have to personally believe that some of it is the stress of the world we live in. Yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to, to just touch on it. It must have been a lot of time on it. But again, you opened my eyes some years ago when you started blowing up these uh, target date funds. And I know that a lot of people just automatically click a, a box or they check a box and they say, oh, here, here you go. I'm 55 years old. I need a 15 year target date fund. Yep. So tell it's, me a little bit about it. Yeah, well, that's essentially, that was, they were created the Pension Protection Act of 2006, or nicknamed that uh, was called, it's nicknamed the Fidelity Relief Act. And, um, uh, the irony of the whole thing is that, uh, and I was just talking to um, an economist, whatever, out in Northern California about the, about this phenomenon. But target date funds were essentially they're a, they're a bundle of uh, mutual funds, they're fund of funds. Okay, I've tried to figure these things out. Um, no one can really understand what they are, but there's another academic um, algorithm uh, basket of funds, and which guarantee nothing, and they're this hypothetical. And Joe, as I say. I don't know what I'm going to have for, for dinner uh, tonight. Never mind what's going to happen next week or the next year. So, but right. they're pr projecting these, like, so we're like, we're in 2021 now. So, so they have these hypothetical rate, uh, rates. Another one, they call what is called the glide path. So as the market, as they get closer to their retirement, the, the uh, vessels will theoretically get into more bonds and, and uh, less stocks and so forth. Well, the whole thing is in 2008, they all blew up. Uh, they all lost in the aggregate, all the Vanguard funds, the principal funds. Um, it's in the, they go to my, read the book. I've done the research. Okay. They all lost an average of 30%. They have not performed, but because of lobbying in Wall Street by BlackRock and Vanguard in particular, this three firms, essentially T. Rowe Price, BlackRock and Vanguard, they own like 80% of the market infidelity. Mm -hmm. So this is where all the flow is. And, and the thing is, there's no accountability, Joe. Um, and, but they're pe people being sold an illusion. Well, you know, one, one thing that, that, Americans are really good for uh, is watching television. Right? <laughs> and if you if you don't have the the inclination, the motivation, the wherewithal to do the research yourself, which most people don't, right? Because they're exhausted from work, they're exhausted from what's going on in our in our country. Um, they they don't want to read whole, a whole lot. They'll say, well, let me pick up the newspaper, let me listen to the radio, let me watch TV, and listen to these talking heads talk about target date funds. And gee, if I just pick, if I'm just lucky enough to pick a nice mutual fund, I could just sit on that thing for the next 20 years. But wait a minute, what about what about protection? What about savings so that you have an emergency fund? And now we've been talking about emergency funds for the past year a little bit more heavily, right? And and the old saw used to be three to six months of your of your home expenses should be in a savings account or an emergency fund. Three to six months. And when I say that to people, people laugh at me. Right. 
Well, that would be ludicrous to have three to six months. Hardly anybody has that. I don't think one, I don't think 1% of people I talk to have that. Okay. And now since COVID hit, we're not talking about three to six months anymore. We're talking about a year to two years because we don't know what's going to happen. And so what are you going to say? Well, I don't want to lose that much in the market by setting aside so much that would be liquid, that would be available, that would be safe. Um, well, gee, we have strategies for that. We're not going to talk about those strategies today, but you can go to uh, Barry's website. You can go to my website, alphaomegawealth.com. And, and you can just get some, some inspiration, get some motivation, uh, get a, a kick in the pants and say, well, gee, um, I've been working for 20 years. I haven't saved much. And maybe it's time that I start. We're still after, after 40 plus years in the business, I'm still trying to get people to pay attention to the need to cover the basic bases. You, you, you don't want to think about um, putting all your money on a, on, a, on a high flyer, on a risk, on something that's completely volatile, something that's completely illiquid when you don't have money set aside for savings. And, and the, the essence of, of becoming your own banker or the infinite banking concept, the foundational product of that is a mutual issued whole life policy. That's a dividend paying policy issued from a mutual company that's been around for 100, 150, 180 years um, that know what they're doing, um, whose principles are not based on fractional reserve banking, uh, who actually have uh, capital to back up their promises. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a practitioner for these things. Uh, Barry is, is one, of the, one of the geniuses that's actually given us the ammunition, given us the intellectual capital or lent it to us, I should say, so that we can go out and share with people and, and rem remind them, you know, we can show you how money works at a very fundamental level. There's a reason why banks take in all the money and encourage us to leave money with banks, leave money sitting. And from our perspective, the money is sitting and earning zero to you know, 0.0001 interest while a lot of rich people are coming and borrowing that same money from the banks and putting it into cash flowing reality, <laughs> cash flowing investments. <laughs> so so there's, there's, there's my, my take on the matter. We need to pay attention and, and, and fill, in, fill up uh, several buckets, not just one, not just the other. Yeah, and have, have patient capital because really, Joe, as you know, it's you know it's uh, the tragedy now. I think of the the banking concept, just telling teaching people how to finance cars now. I think you know what the average finance seventy two month average um, uh, mm -hmm. month financing on a new car, and only like I think only like twelve or thirteen percent of the population, Joe, can buy a new car in cash. It's horrible. So. So the new slavery, Joe, and you know, and I know, it's, it's almost like out of the Bible. The new slavery is debt. So people's wages, yeah. you, you mentioned like in Las Vegas, and I live in New England, it's a very affluent area. It's very expensive to live here. But so people are not making the giant sums like these tech titans or the bankers are making. So if people, the average guy is not making the money. What they do is they, they give more debt. And... Um, and so the whole thing is, is that now more than ever, Joe, people have to be self-reliant because as the old, as um, Mark Twain once said, a banker will give you an umbrella when, when the sun is out and take away when it rains. So, you know, people want to be more self-reliant and I think God does want us to be more self-reliant. It's so good. Um, we really have to uh, 
to uh, be disciplined about it. Now, the thing is not everyone one's going to get this, Joe. The people who are disciplined, who are savers, you know, who love their families, who uh, um, who don't believe all the uh, the shenanigans and all the the propaganda they're going to hear on the cable news, uh, um, um, or if they, all those Robin Hood traders out there, um, you know. So if you realize that the best investment is always going to be in yourself, but if you have cash, mm-hmm. you can always do stuff. Yes. You know, I have a guy who uh, we're we're developing a a planning uh, platform for pilots around the country. And this guy is a a great practitioner, but he's got like over half a million in cash value. I mean, he can go out and do whatever he wants, you know, in distant cash values. He he gets it. And he's single. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's single. Okay. So so, he doesn't need life insurance. He's got a half a million cash, you know, growing four or 5% a year, Mm -hmm. you know, so he, he people get it, and and, um, and people will laugh at him when when the market's doing thirty percent, but they won't laugh at him when when some folks have lost their jobs or furloughed or, or on unemployment, uh, or when the market's down thirty percent, God forbid, like it was about ten months ago, um, and then they're not going to laugh at him. They're going to say, "Gee, that was really not a bad idea, having your cash value available." And, and, and as we say, you're not borrowing your cash value from your policies. You're using your cash value as collateral. Collateral. And you're borrowing money from insurance companies that have money set aside for these purposes. Most people who own life insurance policy, 90% plus in most of these companies, never uh, have their, well, maybe I shouldn't say never, 90% don't have outstanding loans today on their life insurance policies. It's the best place to put your money. I mean, it's like a, cl- a client of mine, unfortunately, you mentioned... I had a claim, um, a long-term client. I had a, a guy, wonderful husband, wife was wife was accountant. His her husband was a chef. He died suddenly, and uh, they had but, but they had used their policies, Joe, that for the bank concept. They bought a uh, a lake house in New Hampshire, so they got mm. it. They liked the idea. As a matter of fact, the uh, the accountant had been on disability and waiver premium, so her whole thing was growing off of these fifteen years. They used the cash. They they uh, they purchased a, a lake house in, in New Hampshire. And so they, they got it. They liked the velocity. And then they died, you know, and, the, and we had a couple, I had a couple hundred thousand on him. And um, so um, this client and just a great lady. And then this guy was just a good guy. I mean, um, and she said, well, where am I going to put my money, Barry? Because there's no interest out there. I said, well, do you have any outstanding loans? She said, yeah, I do. I said, why don't you just put your money back in loan? He said, she said, you mean that I could take it out again? Oh, yeah. So you're going to get 4%, you know what I mean? And then if, then if you graduate, it goes, you know, no probate, no lawyers, no accountants to your beneficiaries. So, you know, I, and I had a major client die last year. And now more than ever, I, uh, I understand the value of this stuff. But, yeah. but, the, but the great thing is giving people being, um, how can I put um, – more self-reliant, not being robots for Wall Street and the asset management industrial complex. And that to me, that's, it's, it's, it's criminal what's going on, but this is what's going on. You know, it's um, not a road to surf or a highway or an Audubon to surf them. So people, so we're just trying to help people be more uh, uh, independent. Sure. Nelson would say, uh, <laughs> you know, we say we're pushing back the borders uh, the frontiers of ignorance. Pushing, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to get t-shirts on that someday. Pushing and, back we're, and we're freeing financial slaves. 
because when if you if you work throughout the year right from january to december and at the end of the year you look back in the year let's say your savings account or wherever you put some money and you didn't save anything i'll ask the class that i stand in front of or a seminar i stand in front of i'll say what do you call a person who works for 12 months and winds up having nothing to show for it and they say uh, an american and i say well that's close it's a slave and, 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 and that word is a charged word, but really it pertains to people who are working for free, right? You're working to, to please the mortgage company. You're working to please the, the, the car loan company, et cetera. And I told my wife 30 years ago, listen, if you, have, if you run short, if you're tight on paying our bills in a particular month and you have to make a choice between paying the mortgage company or paying my life insurance bill or my disability insurance bill, the mortgage company will wait because they will get paid. I promise you, they will get paid. We'll catch up with them, but we can't afford and we never want to short ourselves first, right? I always want to put myself in the first position. I am my own best creditor, right? I pay myself first. I learned that from, from Metropolitan Life in 1976. Pay yourself first. Nobody plans to fail, right? But people fail to plan. And, um, and, and by the grace of God, by the way, we've never been late on a mortgage payment, but that's not really the point. The point is my priorities were to take care of our, our own family banking system first. And we had a family banking system before I knew what it was called, before okay. Nelson named it for me. <laughs> okay. Um, and you know, another thing I want you to touch on was this 10% that we talk about. And Nelson says, we're just trying to reach the 10% because 10% should be able to sway some other people. Yeah, that, that's the most important thing. And I guess the, um, because this is a, you know, presented this data and this, the facts I have here are facts and you're not gonna hear it um, in the mainstream media, but if we can educate people, um, getting 10% would be great. So we could have a Teutonic shift. Really, we need to go from, people need to, Joe, as you know, people need to, to save first before they invest, but now, with everything they've been taught and heard and brainwashed is, is to put everything in the market first. And um, it just never works. And um, the irony of the whole thing is that when you met, when you meet really wealthy people, they don't want to lose anything. You know, it, yeah, I, it's, it, it's easy to do sometimes sell a guy a hundred thousand dollar annual premium sometimes than a guy for a thousand dollars a year. Would you admit sometimes Joe? I mean, it's just because they get it for, you know, preservation completely principle. true, completely true. Wealthy people never want to give up the capital. People who, who are not used to having any capital don't respect it right? because they don't, with all due respect to anybody listening, people who don't uh, amass some level of capital don't appreciate the work and the sacrifice that went into it. So if you have $100,000 sitting in, in, in cash or in some liquid investment, something that you've built up, you know what it took to get there. It wasn't just buying Amazon stock at the right time. For the most part, 90% of the time, it's, well, we saved, and then we saved some more. We made a small investment over here, and we saved some more, and we exercised the discipline of saving. We said we will never violate the rule of saving first. So, you know, when, when we're people of faith, when, when I met my wife in 1988, we agreed that we would always be tithers, right? We would yep. give 10% to the Lord. And I said, but you know, guess what? God doesn't mind if I take the second 10%. He, 
He has no problem with that. And you know, what if we, what if we use the same rule for our personal family that we use for our faith? If it, if, if it works in the spiritual, why wouldn't it work in, in the physical? Well, let's make sure that we save 10% of our gross and put that into, into various places where it'll be liquid, where it'll be accessible, um, where, where we can get a reasonable rate of return, where it could be free of tax, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and there's no rule that says we can't increase that. We're allowed to save more than that. And then Nelson comes along and says, you know, you should be working on getting to the point where your premiums are equal to your income. But the, but the, the, the truth of the matter is, Joe, if we get 10%, um, the, unfortunately, America is a culture. We're, we're probably one of the worst in the world. Um, matter of fact, I can, if you just bear with me, I can kind of give you the actual statistics on it if you would like me to share that with your, with your audience because I do have this stuff. Of course. Fine. Okay, here we go. Okay, and this is from the OC, uh, OECD, which is the Organization of uh, Economic Cooperation Development uh, based out of Paris. It's essentially the, what people save in the world. And, and this is in 2012, and the, the figures now are somewhat new, uh, but a little bit better. In 2012, the Irish saved 19.3% of their income. The French spent, um, uh, saved 13, 16.3% of their income. Spain, 13.1%. Belgium, 2.2%. Uh, Germany, 11.4%. Uh, Sweden, 10.1%. Switzerland, 10.1%. Portugal, 9.8, and I can email this to you later, Joe. Uh, yeah, Australia, 9.3, and Austria, 9.1%. Okay, these are facts. Okay, this is not crazy, Barry. Okay, you know what the average savings rate in America was at that time for Americans? Negative 2.2 .2. in 2012. Yeah, negative 2. Point, yep, that that sounds like us. <laughs> That's America, man. Spend, spend what you don't have to impress people you don't like, you know? <laughs> so, well, the, so, the thing with Americans is we have been presumptuous, right? So we always figure if I made good money this year, I'll make good money plus 10% or plus 20% next year. I don't need to save this year. I'll start saving next year. I'll just double up. And then next year comes and you say, well, you know, I really like that new i8 BMW that I've had my eye on. And you know, it's only $90,000 uh, stripped down. <laughs> so maybe I should just put my, my bonus or my raise or my tax, tax refund, God forbid, into that thing. And I'll just save a bunch more the following year. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're 50 years old, you're 55, you're 60 years old. And you say, gee, I, I wonder if you should start getting ready for retirement now. And we, I mean, we haven't even spent a minute today talking about the need for life insurance. Again, people should go to barryjamesdyke.com and get the first book because then that's when I, I took out the 9-11 uh, Victims Compensation Fund, which was um, the yep. largest life insurance payment of all time for around $6.6 billion, which you and I as a taxpayer founded, okay? So all these people, all these people making millions trading up in Wall Street, we were paying them up to about $7.1 million courtesy of the American taxpayer and life insurance benefits when the, in the World Trade Center tragedy. Now, I know it was tragic, yeah. but my point is, is that it was all based upon economic value of the human life mm -hmm. and it was all income tax free. Yes. It was all done in cash. Okay. It was life insurance. So it's just the U.S. Treasury. So the point is, is the greatest asset of anyone is, is the human life value, the ability to produce income. 
but that's we've lost that. But the, but that's you know the largest life insurance payment of all time, and um, you know when uh, but and very smart people buy very large chunks of policies. As a matter of fact, I was on another podcast yesterday, and do you have Comcast out there? Or M- sure. NBC yeah. Universal. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, Ralph Roberts, the uh, founder of Comcast, um, and yeah, I had a dig for this. They paid out like a four hundred ninety six million or. Four, something ridiculous, $465 million uh, life insurance policy when he uh, passed away in um, 2016, 15, 14, right around there. So these are very, very smart people. You know, we, we always talk about a, a, a few different commodities that are the most important asset, right? Some people will say, well, my house is my biggest asset. And we've, we've come along and said, well, think about it. You're income, your ability to produce, produce income is really your largest yeah, asset. And, and it may continue to be your largest asset. In my life, it, in my late 60s, it continues to be my largest asset, right? And then a friend of ours, Len Rainier. I was uh, Len, yeah, he's a wonderful guy. I was Len, he's, who's, he's who's the best. Wrote, he's written some books and, and he said, the last time I spoke with him, he, he spoke here a couple of years ago in Las Vegas, right before COVID hit. He said, you know, the most powerful financial tool on the face of the planet is a strong, loving family, right? Think about that. What could you do with a few dollars and a strong, loving family who put their brain power together, who put their intention together, who put their, their heart and their passion together? And they say, you know what? The first thing we want to do is take care of ourselves, make sure that we're all safe and secure, make sure our kids go to school at whatever level that's appropriate, right? Let's make sure our kids get education. Let's, let's equip them to be out in this world because you have to have solid education. It doesn't necessarily mean postgraduate education, but it means serious education. And then let's, let's teach our kids how to create generational wealth. And there's no point in creating generational wealth unless you have a family whose values are worth perpetrating. Strong, loving family, biggest asset on the planet. And I, I hope to God that that Ralph Roberts family knew what to do with the half billion dollars that they collected in cash proceeds. Income tax free. Yeah. <laughs> because I've, I've been witness around here uh, to people who, who literally transferred tens of millions of dollars to their kids while they were alive and the kids blew it. Yeah. So, so there, there's no limit to the amount of money that you can, that, that you can blow if you really put your mind to it and concentrate. <laughs> and then on the other hand, there's no limit to the amount of good that you can do with a few dollars if you put your intention, your heart into it and, and you're diligent and you come up with a plan and you get people to participate, right? Law of large, law of large numbers. That's what a life insurance company is. They, they start with a, a large pool of people, right? A million people or millions of people and, and they at an actuarial table say, you know what? Some people are going to die this year. But the vast majority are going to, are going to die for decades and decades and decades. And yeah, you, you can follow that false bogey that some people talk about when they say it's a bad investment. Well, I don't know. Back in April of 2020, you might, you might have said that being in the stock market was a bad investment. And, and one of my friends who's, who's our portfolio manager reminded me that of all the the most extreme highs and the extreme lows in the last hundred years in the market, 30% of those extremes happened in 2020. So, yeah, so it's a casino, Joe. And 
you know, we're not on it. I mean, it's, it's a club and you, you and I are not in it. Most people aren't in it. And um, so, so really ha having people having being more self-reliant and uh, being loving and caring uh, and what we do uh, and letting people know the truth. And, um, you know, God help us and save us all this, this, this debt. I mean, uh, I've done the research, Joe, um, the debt. Um, unfortunately, this is, when you look at statistics, the economic inequality is worse than it was prior to 1929. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, student loan debt's all time high, went up 1.6, 1.7 trillion. Credit card debt, all time high. Mortgage debt, higher than it was in 2008. Margin debt, higher than it was in uh, 2007, 2008. Hmm. Um, uh, municipal bond debt is higher than it was since 2013. Uh, government debt's never been higher. So you have all these things which are happening. And if you see a lot of smoke and sparks, eventually there's going to be fire. And I hope it doesn't, um, I hope we don't end up like Japan. We all become zombies. Then uh, another fact, and, and Bloomberg did this research, Joe, um, 20% folks, listen up, 20% of the top 3,000 companies in America are economic zombies. What does that mean, an economic zombie mean? It means the company cannot generate enough cash to pay the interest on its debt. So you got companies like Boeing. Wow. Or Delta Airlines and, um, and numerous other Carnival Cruise Lines and all that stuff. They can't make enough money to pay, even pay the interest on their debt. So the whole thing is you really have to be self-reliant. Now, Boeing or the airlines, unfortunately, they go hat in hand. They get money. They get billions for the, um, uh, from the government. You know, and, uh, but the, the problem with, with Boeing and the airlines have been very imprudent about how they spent their money. Uh, Boeing, for example, Joe, they blew $47 billion of their own oh, cash buying back their own shares. And I think the airlines uh, in the aggregate um, spent $43 billion. So, so the so now like the airlines have got a you know, forty two billion uh, with with two thousand twenty um, uh, bailout twenty five uh, billion another seventeen billion to be awarded this mm. year they're getting forty two billion so you and I are not are not airlines we're not um, the average family is not airlines they, they can't be a Boeing go hat in hand from the government and I need more money yeah but here's the thing the average person. And I hate to use that word average because there's no such thing. Everybody's an individual, right? But some people, let's say, will look at that headline and they'll take permission from that headline and say, well, gee, I'm not as bad as Boeing. I'm not as bad as Carnival. My debt's only, you know, twice what I earned or three times or four times what I earned. And actually I am making the minimum payment. There's a key word. I am making the minimum payment on my credit card. Yeah. But at that rate, you're never going to pay your debt down. So, so as, as the individual goes, the government goes, as the corporation goes, the government goes, or the individual goes, we're, we're all connected to each other. And we all take our cues from each other. And the government and the corporations only do what the individual citizen allows them to do. Sometimes allows by, by sheer acquiescence. We just sit back and we watch and we think it's okay. So we let it happen. And so we're letting our country be hijacked economically. Um, I, and I think we've opened up enough topics today, Barry, that um, I'm going to put you on the spot here and, and ask you if you'll join me again sometime. Sure, Joe. It's always good to see my friend Joe. As long as we get together the next time in Vegas, okay? Oh, yeah, I, 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 I will take, take you up on that, Joe. 
I'm going to take you up on your invitation to come to New Hampshire because that is, will be an exciting trip and I will pack extra socks. You'd love it. It's beautiful out here. I appreciate you so much. Uh, I just wanted to touch base, uh, have, have our, our clients uh, in our contacts know who you are. And I also want to mention that um, we're going to put a link on our website to your website so that people can avail themselves of your books. And if you can possibly sell, send me images of your, of your books, we will put those images on our website along with the link. So uh, I, I totally uh, endorse Barry's books, um, Pirates of Manhattan 1, Pirates of Manhattan 2. And then the Guaranteed third, income, Joe. We forgot about this one. Guaranteed income. Thank for you. Those, for those, those people who are near retirement, between 55, 78, this is perfect for them. And then I, and I told you I was working on the other book. So uh, yeah, that's that, that's going to be when, uh, when that's ready. I'll let you know. You got to keep reading, folks. You got to keep reading. Um, you know, turning off the TV a little bit early, which is one of my biggest challenges, I hate to say. Uh, but but we have to do it. Uh, I keep on buying more and more books. I keep on falling farther and farther behind. I should have taken a speed reading course a long time ago. I didn't do it. It's too bad. Tough on me. I have to read anyway. We have to learn. Uh, got to keep that brain functioning. Got to keep it healthy. And you have to keep uh, keep ideas flowing through our mind, which is also going to inspire us to be creative. One of my buddies this morning said, you know, the brain is great for creating ideas. It's not great for storing ideas. So, so figure out a place to keep and write down and, and, and keep Word documents or wherever you keep your stuff. Um, but we have to keep on learning, keep on growing and improving and, and, and use that to help our families, help our businesses, help our kids and help our future. Appreciate you, Barry. And Joe, uh, look, God bless you. Best, uh, best wishes for good health and a very okay. successful, uh, healthy um, 2021. God bless you, Joe. You too. God bless you too. I appreciate you. And, and folks, thanks for joining us and talk to you soon.